Hi everybody, this is Jitain from Zero and you're listening to Retail Reimagined, the podcast where we'll talk to CEOs, CMOs, CTOs from the retail industry and uncover the future of retail. So tune into the podcast and learn what's happening in the retail industry. Hi folks, this is Jitain once again and welcome to Retail Reimagined. I do hope you're enjoying the podcast that you have brought on so far. Today's episode is one with a difference. In this episode of Retail Reimagined, I talk to Shivani Dad, an accomplished fashion designer and merchandiser who's held various roles in both traditional and online retail. To name a few, Arvind Fashions, Amazon, Mintra, Levi's, and the list is endless. She was, till recently, the director of buying curation at Mintra, where she led a team of trend researchers that she says very specific Gen Z and curators focused on delivering a compelling customer experience and driving business growth. Recently recognized with the nationwide 50 under 50 award by Mint for her contributions to fashion consulting industry, Shivani credits her success to a customer-centric approach and keen eye for culturally relevant trends. Please join me in welcoming Shivani Dutt to Retail Reminded. Shivani, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to this episode of Retail Reminded. Thank you, Jitain. Great to be here. Thank you. Shivani, I don't know where to start, right? But I think the, the best way to do it is just to kind of touch upon your complete diverse and extensive career that you have in the fashion industry, right? Just walk us through it and give us your experiences, give us your learnings from there. Sure, sure, sure. So, yeah, I've spent about 20 years in design, buying, merchandising, and marketing roles. And through the process, I've helped lifestyle brands across the world, actually delivering some unique products and distinctive experiences to their consumers. So in some sense, you could say I'm a hybrid merchant or a multi-hybrid, multi-category designer. That's the way I would get myself. Or as an advertising senior recently said, a super strong Swiss knife in the Indian retail kitchen where something is always cooking. Now, jokes aside, Jibben, compared to a lot of my tenured peers, I've had specialized short and intense runs. I would say, which is also why I've, I've actually been able to sort of work with a lot of different brands, etc. And some of it was planned. Some of it was serendipity, as you would say. But all of it in terms of experiences all the way. Because it's just added how I bring what I bring. Different advisory projects, etc. So the funny thing is, I did not grow up around fashion. <laughs> I grew up in a small town where civil services, medicine, or engineering were the preferred, you know, professions, right? And there was no organized retail per se. And fashion was something that if you traveled abroad, right, you would get exposure to it. So um, now the same city is a is a thriving mental, and it has produced some very strong retail leaders, designers, and it organized retail has actually exploded there. It actually pulls in the highest rental in the market. So, and the funny thing is when I actually told my parents that I'm going to do design at NIDS and I had cracked, I think, LSR and state steeples at that point in time, they were perplexed, but they said, okay, go ahead with it. And by the time I had graduated, it had actually become an entrance of choice. So that is the, I would say that is the way fashion has actually exploded in India, not just in terms of the skill set market or the education market, but also in terms of organized so both in terms of what's driving it on the front and the people who are powering it in the back <laughs> on both sides, it's uh, from there to now, it's, uh, it's, it's great. Yeah, right. absolutely. You know, you kind of spent uh, time both in India and the US. You've spent time 
in the Amazon of the world. You spend time possibly in one of the one of India's oldest fashion brands, which is Arvind Fashion. Yeah, you spend time in Levi's, and of course, re- till recently with Mintra. Right. What What really one of course is very diverse. I don't know if you're doing very similar roles, but you you obviously can walk us through that. And what were your learnings from here? So you touched upon a very interesting part. Two things. One is where uh, I wasn't with a particular firm for the longest time, but that's also a choice. And the diversity actually came in with the function changes as well. So I started off in design. I think my first stint and the foremost memorable stint in my career that I would basically say was where it all started. It was Alan Sonny Women's Wear. I had the opportunity to be part of the launch team in a design role. And that's where my eyes opened to sort of corporate design as a function within corporate retail. Um, and from there, I would say the next big one was Levi's Pike. Um, that's where I sort of got in without the marketing tips. <laughs> Everybody else was either very pedigree from an IAM and the learning curve was sharp. Then on to moving, moving on to e-commerce, right? Which is, uh, of course, in the US, whatever I saw with, let's say, name premium brands like Fossil, etc., which had stores, which had wholesale as well as uh, .com. That's where my more digital piece started to now to Amazon and to Mintra, right? So the, the moving from India to the States uh, and working with different geographies, which is Europe as well as Southeast Asia and China, which was largely with at Amazon in India and then did job. The, the few learnings that I would basically say personally for me is that uh, one has to have a very sharp understanding of the consumer to be able to traverse this these different functions. That's a single-threaded ask, I think I would say, for anybody in fashion retail, whichever the function. One would think that designers sort of define it beyond the trends or the macro trends that you see with consumers, but I don't think that's correct. Because design versus art, uh, design is you're answering a problem statement for the consumer. Art is when it is something that's created from from your ask and, and it, it, it may find a market. It may find a product market. So the, the, the first part that I would say is sharp consumer understanding, absolutely critical. The second piece I would say is the ability to sort of leverage relationships that's a superpower. I think that holds true in India as well as uh, anywhere outside. And personally for me, because I was usually like the first Indian in the, on the team or um, trying to relate to a market that is so different from the where I grew up or where I studied fashion. But to be able to do that, party plate was of course the skill, but also how you translate in terms of a relationship. The third piece that I would say is uh, the power of edit. Curation is funny that it's it was one of my late, my most recent tools but uh largely we think design is additive right or any experience is additive but i have realized a lot of it is additive which means what is it that's absolutely right for the consumer for the product and for the market so that is another superpower that really helps because across all of the names that you sort of made all of them are very sharply curated, not just in terms of product selection, but also in terms of the way it is communicated. And the last piece is, I think, we tend to get caught up in the nuts and bolts of what we're doing generally. Because, and that, that would be the case, right? When you're moving functions, when you're moving countries, etc. But the ability to sort of step back and take 30,000 feet view 
and also to stitch it together. So I, I often do this. I look back and I say, what is it that sort of worked across? That really helps identify Pareto's. Let's say when you have a 5% fix, that can actually give you a 50% lift. And that is true in most of retail. And that brings me to the last point, which is technology. When technology comes in, it takes away the churn of you being involved in the Latin boards and to leverage technology as another because you're able to sort of do that. So that's kind of my 20 year view on having worked with a lot of these. So how can you explain the merchandise-led revenue growth that typically what happens is, at least from, uh, I, I've, I've been in marketing, I've been in customer, managing customer loyalty, CRM and all that so forth. And we are, we are so used to seeing it, everything on the front end, right? But what we call the front end, which is store level or the slow level, right? Okay. But for you all, I had to see it from the behind the scene. What is it that, that goes into it and what, what's the science or the whatever it is? Yeah. Magic that you're... The, the, the one, one piece is that it's funny that you say this, Jibin, because very recently I made a point. This is something that I was working with my team also at Minja is this whole idea about technology and artificial intelligence, right? AI. Buying, merchandising, and design are probably the most human capital-centric tools that you have in retail, and they really are the engine in some ways that drive the entire product development and the selection piece. And there is quite a bit that actually sort of fits it in this piece, and that actually has an impact, right? Um, a lot of the firms that you spoke about, they have very, uh, very uh, set processes that have either been developed over time in, in the India perspective, or they've been borrowed from their global sort of counterparts so that they fit in some way, right? But the basics are very, very simple, right? If it's a brand or it's a platform, what is the product to market, right? What is it that you want to offer and to gain? So understanding the consumer and the market demand is very critical. And one may, like I said, designers and buyers don't think about it. You start with an Excel sheet, which is, which is an OTB probably, and then you try and place it in terms of store. You take an offer what, what, what you're buying internationally or you're producing and you're making a selection. But I think that is a limited There's always a consumer understanding. Who is the consumer currently? Who is the consumer that you're going to acquire, right? And where is it that you really want to go and does it actually make sense? Right. These are decision points, the selection decision points that are made on a daily basis, I would say, right? So what is the consumer market fit? Supply and scale, right? Okay, the consumer wants it and they want it at a particular price, but are you able to supply? Is it right? Does it make cost? Does it make sense from a cost perspective? Does it make sense from a margin perspective? Or is it right for the brand? That <laughs> acts another other platform, right? Is that where you sort of want to go? Then macro trends, that's something that I'm, I'm really glad to see this. 20 years now, there's a proper science, there's a proper understanding of forecasting and trend research as a, as a separate function. But I'm talking about 20 years back. Uh, you would have specialists who would read the market trends, not just from a consumer macro perspective, but also from a passion perspective. Because the distinctive part about fashion is, it is above all display also. There's a very strong taste parameter. So you can get the demographics and the psychographics or even the qualitative piece, but defining the taste is a different nuance sort of play. And that's where I think to build anything new, 
reading the macro trends in terms of fashion is also very, very critical. And the last piece is how does it all sort of fit in from an experience point? Because perhaps you could have bought the most uh, well-balanced line. You could have designed it. You could have placed orders. But if the supply doesn't fit in, if it doesn't fit into the stores that you allocated it into or into the experience because there's a same experience that's going on, it will not sort of matter, right? So the experience needs to uh, very, very apty, almost like an impresario in, in the fashion space, it needs to orchestrate and bring it all together. So I think that's kind of how it works. And here is where I think technology has a strong role to play. So uh, there isn't anything that comprehensively solves for this entire step or set of steps that are there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got it. Right. Right. So I'm going to ask you a question, maybe a quick question, because you, you spoke about customer focus or a customer-centric approach. You spoke about technology, I think, which is a big thing today, right? Um, and as you touched upon AI, of course, I'll come back to AI a little bit towards the end and then later. But we always, again, I'm coming from the possibly the marketing or the customer engagement perspective. As marketers or as retailers, we want to engage with our customer. Right? We want to make it as relevant and as personalized as possible. And everything that we do, we generally tend to just possibly focus it on offers yeah, or, or certain other attributes, right? I remember we used to also go and check with the merchandising teams and hey, what are the new conditions? Can we do something? But I don't see much of that really happening. Yeah. Your your thoughts on that? That's a very good point that, that you sort of mentioned. And this is the plus side and the minus side of having technology, digital or e-commerce sort of coming. Um, and I think it will settle. In my opinion, it will settle because having had exposure to two of the largest and the best e-commerce organizations that exist, I can tell you that there is a lot of data, right? Um, there is enough that comes in, but you're also right that the data defines the surface level of the strategy going forward or the pivots that happen. A lot of it still has to do with understanding the real consumer. And it could be a set, it could be a cohort, right? It could be a cohort, it could be individual consumers. And um, that is where I think Omni has a very small play. And Omni doesn't necessarily need, in my opinion, doesn't necessarily need to be that you must have stores. Um, you could have pop-ups, you could have different ways of activation where you actually take that and you talk to the consumer. Because one thing that happens with e-commerce is you have a lot of data. And, but data is what you make, make of data. It's, it's the insights that you pull out. And there are multiple ways of cutting insights. But the truth of the matter is you could be demographically very much a clone of the next person, right? We could have the same age markers. We could have the same lifestyle markers, etc. But the taste and the parameter or the perspective or your adoption. So that's on the back end. On the front end also, when you say sales, etc. Sales is actually a mechanism, honestly, right? It's a mechanism to to ensure that those customers that are actually looking at value being the largest trigger or discount being the largest trigger are able to buy. But it can be denoted in a lot of different ways. So the way I end up actually handling it or the teams that I've actually worked with, we have always asked 
have a larger and a more open connect with the consumer. So whether it's actual D2C, whether it is brands selling via distributors to consumers, many ways of having that this. So in my experience in the offline space, we were actually um, required in most of the places that I worked to, soft, to, to work the flow, to work the flow. Because when you work the flow, you're able to sort of meet the consumer where they're at, right? So that's for your offline retail. So, uh, and of course, in buying and merchandising, you actually do have the store. So you take the opportunity to also observe the consumer, to understand what they're picking up. And this is beyond data. This is beyond what we do on a fortnightly basis if we're looking at performance data, what started work, what cuts were. It's the real consumer that you put a face to. And this, this would definitely be a part of that. On the e-commerce side, where it may seem that a lot of things get very easy and very lost in the sea of data, I can tell you that the insights team or the market research team is the place for most e-commerce. Amazon, because I was part of the, the larger cross-category marketing team, everything started with insights. And that meant traditional focus groups as well as digital focus groups. And even at Mentor, where uh, you have something called a KYC, no, you can do more. So there are multiple programs that a lot of large e-commerce firms are also using to stay connected to the real consumer, whether it means getting a pool of Gen Zs who are your go-to folks to ask if a particular product or a particular look of a store or a particular construct will actually sort of work or what they will be. So, so there are mechanisms that even in the age of digital and e-commerce that are driving the direct access to consumer and of course design and buying merchandising we ask for and we're definitely there because without understanding consumer, you cannot design or selection. Absolutely. I think very, very articulated the point, right? I think when when one looks at um, even customer engagement in whatever means, I think it shouldn't be a very, it shouldn't be an effort driven in silos, right? I think it's kind of driven holistically across the entire retail ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. One question that's intrigued me, and I want to ask you this, and you spent time in India, you spent time, in, of course, you spent time in the U.S. and, and now in India. The retail trends that you see, how does it differ? What What are the learnings that you brought from here, and where is India really going in terms of its retail? That's a great question, and if you had asked me this five years back, I would have probably had a different answer. But in general, I would say... Um, there are different life stages within of retail development, uh, whether it is consumer co-ops or trends or how uh, online and offline is actually in a different manner. Um, let's say in the US, the whole concept of outlets is a very structured concept, which means that, again, it's been there since the days of Macy's. So, so mid-priced retail segments that were there to, to premium-priced. So, all of them have evolved their own sort of outlet format, and it's a structured base that that flows, which is outside the city. Um, you actually go to a outlet mall and to sort of shop, and that's one thing that I actually haven't sort of seen in India yet, especially in the luxury, like the rich luxury segment. That's something that US has a heads up on. Some department stores, well-known department stores, they may survive the consumption slowdown. Um, they may decide to become more e-commerce driven or actually go to basic value plus design mode, which is always sort of going to be there. 
um, in the US where design plane, network, category expansion, channel diversification that will all sort of see. India in that sense is a fragmented market and I would say it's a polarized market where you've got these two sets happening and you've probably heard this from a lot of other people. You've got the luxury premium segment and you've got a value segment that's very strong. Both driven by two separate Indias. One is India and the other is Bharat, right? And that is where value translates very, very particularly. Um, sales is relevant for both. Timing and the messaging is what makes it relevant. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's where my end is in terms of differences. Um, Time messaging is what you said, right? Yeah, yes, yes. In terms of how do you take the learnings from the US and actually try and sort of translate it. Yeah. But given the fact that you're operating within the Indian environment, is there a differentiation would you have deploy for both India and Bharat? Yes, absolutely. I would definitely say so. Um, so there are, um, there are unifying principles that should work, but that's more about how we operate. Right. That's my strong point of view on the role of design, the role of design or the role of curated selection on both sides. Um, um, and of course, so India, but it's the market that's actually expanding very, very sharply. In fact, I was sort of reading somewhere that you have the largest, largest base of high net worth income households that are sort of growing here. Then on the other side, we've got Gen Z's which are very, very prominent. And this would hold true for both India as well as Bharat, right? Because I think I read somewhere that it's going to be a half a billion Gen Z consumers in the next four to five sort of years that you'll see. And they will be split, I don't know, evenly or unevenly, but prominently between India and sort of Bharat, right? On how it's from. Now, when you ask me about the difference uh, on both, it's um, where they are in their fashion adoption site. That's one thing. And that bridge is always going to be slightly different, but it is, it's also becoming narrower. So um, um, value is very important, but like a lot of, a lot of big retailers and e-commerce folks. And this is where data, uh, data, if you don't deep dive into it, you will make mistake. They would say that Bharat is a very sales driven market. I would beg to differ that value translates different. Um, some of the monikers that we see in terms of design, color, brand, brand logos, certain cuts, what is sort of permissible, but with a little bit of edit and change. It's how you translate it, right? Versus in, in terms of actual design. Also in terms of how you message. It's more vernacular. There, it, it goes more English or English if and or English and whatever the, the pieces are. So I would not want to just say that it's a laggard market purely because of affordability. It is because of differences in where they are in their adoption cycle. Right. Different in taste. Got it. Got it. And a, a, a different piece that I remember, a, a CK, one of the highest grossing stores of CK, at least when I was there, was actually in a tier two city. And you wouldn't expect, and in a lot of the cities, the ask is what, the consumer ask is what grow stores actually being launched there. So you would think that the disposable income is less or they would be a laggard value market where you would put a season minus two. But a lot of brands would actually tell you this, that that's actually what's driving on one end on the spectrum, higher, higher buying the punches. Right. Right. I think, I think a lot of brands, I think looking at the cost of 
retail post space in the cities is now are moving to quite quickly into into the tier two and tier three markets, right? So extension of that question, omnichannel. Yeah. Mentioned it sometime prior during our conversation. The importance of omnichannel in all of this. Right. In reality, do you see brands really taking up uh, taking it up very seriously? And do they have to? Very good question, Jitya. Again, if you had asked me <laughs> two years or three years ago, I would have had a different plate. So you 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 answered it very well yourself by the the, the fact that there are a lot of tier two, tier three cities that are actually going to see an explosion of uh, offline retail. Um, and what brands are actually doing is with having a store or a set of stores there, they're giving their whole brand an identity. It's a real space that you stay connected. The way e-commerce came in in India, it wasn't driven from an experience mode point of view. And largely by the way merchandise moved, right? Discounting and sales became the larger play. It's also how uh, they are scaled. It's where uh, you have to show the performance results. That's how sales and uh, sales messaging actually draw a certain perception of the e-commerce store. But I think as we mature, even on the e-commerce side, Branding and experience will become important. And hence, wherever you have a network of good stores, you would have to have a link in some ways of figuring out how the consumer stays connected. So it's an experiential connect that only can actually provide. Um, and I think that will be seen as the market sort of mature. Some are already doing it. Some will actually take to it. Right. You may see a lot more of it in the luxury or the premium bridge to luxury brand space. Um, and maybe there's an opportunity for the erstwhile department stores to actually look at that and bring that forward because you lock in the consumer across their consumer journey in that manner. That's right. moment, that's way more important versus allowing them to shop a sale here or to shop a sale there instead. Mm -hmm. So in short, you will see that sort of emerging. Yeah, and the interesting point you raised on the fact that everything's driven by sales and it became by me. Yeah, I think it was not only e-commerce brand or P2C brands. I think I think traditional retail also kind of fell victim to it. Yeah. Because I hope that changes and like you said, a maturity comes in. Yeah. Um again, you spoke about AI and technology, right? What is it you what is it that retailers need to do to to adopt to this? Are they doing enough in this space? Uh, it's up for debate. This is a very hot topic right now. Um, and not just in the retail space across, not just passion retail, it's across the board. Um, I, like I stated earlier, and having me on the back, back end of the work, design, merchandising, buying, the very human-centered functions. In India specifically, it's a large chain of human functions that actually drive it. And why India? Same is true for US, etc. You've got career merchants, etc. But there is some there are there are tasks that that can be automated. That is where AI can sort of support it. There isn't a single short product that actually, even as of today, that actually takes care of the entire design by merchandising sourcing sort of function. When I was starting our product line management systems were being designed. A lot of people were testing it, it's a, but we still work 
a lot with excels and google sheet forms and typically drawn tech packs so that's one space that the the faster we adopt to it the faster we will be able to sort of uh, respond right. from a macro perspective um there is a lot of consolidation that's happening so an auto simplification of the map so we've got consolidation of fashion conglomerates as you can see yes you've got need to see brands that are mushrooming but then you get absorbed D2C is the channel of choice. So, and what D2C, a lot of people say or don't notice is that you've got a, a segment, a, a much sharper cohort of consumers that you're actually going for. And a lot of them are either single product or single product line operates. And that's where the response time that they're also looking at has to be passed. So the entire cycle, buying, merchandising and retailing has to become that fast. The only way that can happen is not by adding more humans to it. It is by making some of that process automate. Even the idea of the house of brands coming, you're you're creating more and more brands. So so there's a lot of consolidation that's happening. In terms of merchandising, we'll experience shorter fashion calendars, right? You'll have limited long tail rocks, this whole idea of I'm buying flying months in advance or um twelve months in advance, which is traditional retail, that is going to go away. So that's that's really going to spin everything on its head. And the faster brands and platforms sort of adopt to it, the the, the better it will be. There'll be real time assortments for international brands. Earlier we used to say, okay, you can bring in something in India eight months later and it will still be fashionably relevant. No. If I have a Louis Vuitton launch or a, a, a LVMH launch, uh, why Louis Vuitton? You take a Supreme or a, any of the other brands also. It's a crocs. It's it's real time. Whatever is released internationally is available. That's thanks to digital. So assortment will have to become really real time. Social listening, all of that. So so there's a lot that that is making as pushing the 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 back end of the market to really grow up. And adopt AI not from a place of fear, but from a place of wisdom. We're actually taking it and making it work for you versus you working. Absolutely. And I see a lot of connectivity because, again, connecting back to the point saying, okay, how does it, if, you, if the change is happening there, how does it translate into actually making things even better for the customer, right? Be it at the store, be it on in the experience of the website, and getting far more personalized in actually. Offering the customer something that he or she wants. So, Jitin, what you said, and also the ad from a more recent, very absolutely recent experience, and I'm not going to name completely, but the fact that personalization is the other hot topic right now, that a lot of e commerce firms are going in for personalization. But how do you get there? One is, of course, you understand that you don't have one customer or two customers. You could have experience that could be differentiated through a cohort of 12 or 20 different customers. And unless you understand that whole piece, and we, I did this in my last stint, it was the last piece of that, that will play out, is you're going to merchandise for that many different experiences. Sure. So the work that is sort of ex exploding that is going to fall on the back end, where technology is the only answer. <laughs> yeah. I think, again, it boils down to how, how sharply focused you are on the customer and then how do you use technology leverage and, and bring the data to your advantage, right? One last question, Shivani, and you've had a lot of experience. You've gained a lot of experience. You've played a lot of roles. 
retail has changed. Of course, pandemic also played its part. Mm-hmm. Um, the last five, seven years, retail has changed and it's transforming, right? So what should brand leaders look for in the next few years? What can they look for? It need not be fashion trend, but generally, what should they keep in mind and look out for? Uh, so some of it, actually, I think I did sort of mention yeah. uh, um, in my last conversation. I, I just answered in the previous piece. It's a really, it's an interesting panel to be in fashion. A lot of people are basically like, how is it going to play out? How is it going to go anywhere? But like I mentioned, there's a lot that's happening. You've got a consolidation of large fashion houses. And I'm specifically answering about India, right? I'm sorry. Is it an India fashion house that has completely or solidly made its mark, but it will. Now, you may have one, two, you may have three. That's one thing. So, so there's consolidation there. D2C cannot be a small play. It has, it is a mainstay. So, um, you have offline, you have online, but even in online, you've got marketplaces, you've got your own .com, which becomes really, really critical because, um, having your handle on your own customer is absolutely key. So it's it's in hundred percent responsibility of that. As well as then you get the data and feed you what you need to know, not, not just for design and selection, but even for marketing and promotion all together. Um, because we are expanding digitally, there is a scope for as many different brands or clusters of brands. We've started thinking in terms of apps, in terms of experiences, but have we actually thought of what's going to feed those apps? Each app or each set of apps has its own cluster of brands that would actually fit it. But we haven't thought of how some brands from that sort of angle and perspective. Well, yeah, fashion retailers will have to, retailers will have to flip their understanding and see that if it's getting so nuanced in terms of experiences, then you can really get nuanced in terms of the brands. And that's also probably what's driving privately sort of explosion. An international brand. They're coming to India, not just as a, by the way, I'm extending my range here. International brands will make and curate for India specifically. The case in point. So it may start in Natchiri, but it will go on route. So I think we need to basically get ready for, like I said, shorter fashion calendars, real-time assortment, uh, the idea on guest influencers and guest curators. So you will also see a lot of skins that will sort of be imported. People who will bring a different flavor on brands that will not have their set design or mind merchandising team. It could be a rotation. That's the way I actually see it. Because you bring in the flavor of what is being selected for that piece. A social listening, trends, party. There's a lot that thought that's going on in terms of chatter that I don't think we are actually listening to much better. Like planning and buying scenarios, um, there's so much that's uh, on play that you can design your own experiences, etc. But the back end, the back end takes a lot of scenario planning when you're opening any new store, either real store or a shopping shop online, right? There's scenario planning that is a lot of work that goes in, or plan of drumming, etc. All of that can be AI made if you figure out the right set of props to work with. Digital showroom and something. CK has done it, TH does it. Um, other Indian retailers need not just from a cost perspective, but from an effort perspective. That is where the maximum sort of effort and time actually goes in. That's why you need an iron month calendar. 
And that's that's too hard to be in the moment. I go other track, right? Uh, you mentioned digital store fronts, right? Do you see metaverse becoming a big thing in BDN? Um, I think not metaverse in its form today. I definitely think that there'll be a hybrid form. Uh, let me explain that to you. Um, because I'm a mother to a seven-year-old and I see a lot of other kids, seven, ten, eleven, twelve, all in the society. All of them are screen, they're really glued to the screen. And if you look at the content that they watch or they engage in, it is absolutely virtual. If you even sit them down and talk to them, they think in those avatar terms, etc. So it's definitely there. The way metaverse today is, other than the experience, we even get to that space for Brennan, you know, as far, or I would say, generally, it, it, it takes time. So the, the easier that they make it for them to integrate in the space that they're already there, that is something that will actually play up. But the point is that, uh, does it apply to everyone? I don't think so. There is an age cut. There's a sharp age cut that I see, which is when this audience that I spoke about, Alpha, when it becomes mature and they have the discretionary spend power and the ability to jump in and out of the experiences. Seamlessly, they will sort of take. That's when your CP metaverse actually takes. That's my my sense. Absolutely. talking about it. No, perfect, perfect. So I think what it does is and listening to your conversation, I think I think what I've realized is I think there's a there's a tremendous opportunity for marketers. I won't call it challenge. I won't call it Whatever, but I'll call it an opportunity because how do marketers use all of this information to drive better engagement with their customers and and drive a higher retention? Because I think that's what's key, given the plethora of choice that a customer would have. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. So thanks, Shivani. Thanks so much for spending this time. I think it was amazing. I I did pick up uh, and learned a lot in this conversation. Good to actually catch up and understand retail from a complete perspective, not just uh, very a siloed one. Yeah. It's a really divergent perspective, but that's what reading the leaks beyond where you are currently does to you for books on a trend reporting point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Pat. Great advice. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye.